0: Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast, where we bring the best of change management to you. In this episode, Editor in Chief Therese Moulton interviews Melanie Franklin, co-chair of the Change Management Institute UK and Director of Agile Change Management LTD on the topic of change scenarios. What will the new normal look like post-corona crisis? We hope you enjoy this installment of the Change Management Review Podcast welcome to the meet the expert podcast with the change management review my name is Teresa moulton editor-in-chief and i am thrilled to have melanie franklin joining us from agile change management uh, company and she is going to be hitting a cup a topic that is really something very current that we're all going through and it's it's basically change scenarios and what will the new normal look like post-corona crisis and really talking about the impact of working at home and doing business virtually. Um, She is the co-chair of the Change Management Institute in the UK and is a respected author of textbooks and articles on change project and program management. She is currently overseeing two major transformations, one impacting 200,000 staff and one requiring the restructure restructuring of a UK-US business. Um, Just recently, Melanie has been um, appointed the Chief Examiner for Agile Change Management Qualification for APMG, so that's really an exciting achievement for her. And Melanie is a talented communicator and has a reputation for delivering complex information with humor and passion. She draws on her wealth of practical experience to illustrate concepts and to engage her audience in lively debates on advantages and disadvantages of each approach that she outlines. I can say um, personally that she is just a wonderful person, brilliant, and very happy to have her today sharing some of the thinking from the thought leadership panel she chairs, um, all about the transformational changes that will really start to impact us as we move forward into the new normal. So without further ado, Melanie.
1: Thank you very much. I'm just walking across my house because I'm realising, as we all do at the moment, that sometimes the signal isn't as strong as you'd like it to be. So uh, (laughs) just getting set up here. Now, what I want to talk about is um, I might be responsible for some major transformational change programmes, but I'm also informed by my past experience of being global head of crisis management. So I've been through some crises in my time, including um, regrettably 9-11, but also the Asian tsunami. Um, I've also been through many changes where we've lost access to buildings through uh, fire, flood and terrorist atrocities. So I'm used to moving into crisis mode. And what I've learned from that is that when you're in crisis mode, you're really busy, you're keeping your head down, you're doing the sort of the, the minimum you need to do to keep the lights on. But you also have to keep an eye on where are things going to to look like when we come out of this? What what is going to be that new normal? Um, And in many of the scenarios that I've run, the new normal was pretty much like the old normal. But one of the things I wanted to talk about uh, in this particular podcast is that I'm not sure that that's going to be absolutely true with this one. Um, I think what's going to happen is that As a result of moving into crisis mode, we've all experienced an acceleration of virtual working. We've had to. Every member of staff is working from home if they have not yet been made redundant or they have not been furloughed. So we've had that acceleration and we need to maybe think about in six months time, what would that new normal look like? Because if we don't understand the end goal, if we don't understand where we're likely to be heading, then how on earth can I get the the context of my current programs right? How can I make those prioritization decisions on what is it that I need to change? How, how can I do that if I don't understand or don't at least try to consider what the possible scenarios are for what that new normal will look like? This is a conversation that I'm having. Um, I'm lucky enough to sort of facilitate a sort of CEOs group um where we sort of dial in and we chat about where we think things are moving and and often it's about transformational change but right now it's about the 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 strategy and and what organizations are going to look like i think first of all let's talk about a time frame right now um, i happen to live in spain so i've been in under lockdown conditions and it's quite stringent here uh, for nearly five weeks five weeks on sunday uh, my colleagues in the UK are a couple of weeks behind. And in the US, we know that there are different situations in, in different states. Uh, and around the world, there are different choices made. But generally speaking, we've moved into this, right, we we can't go into our offices, we can't sort of uh, use some of the same supplies we used to use, our customers have furloughed their own staff, or they've got all virtual working. So we, we've got this sort of, What's the minimum we have to do to maintain the contracts we currently have, uh, to maintain a level of service and to keep revenue coming in? What tends to happen in a crisis is that we then move into a transition phase, which is as we come out of crisis mode, we are going to try to sort of return to work. And that might be phased returns. It might be the impact of continued social distancing. Um, and we start to see that some of the the things we, we're not bringing back the old ways of working, and then we'll return to something and uh, the CEO's group that I chair, um we've been bouncing ideas around uh, maybe the first of September, maybe the first of October, maybe it's not until first of February. It's very much dependent on perhaps where we stand with a vaccine, and I'm the optimist, so I do look at the numbers and think, well, if there's seventy vaccines currently uh, under production research and three of which have already gone into human trials then I do believe we will come out the other side of this. Um, I don't know the exact date but I am interested in planning for that point because I know that that is where I need to lead the organizations that I work with. So I know that there's crisis mode, there's transition and then there's the new normal. And what I really wanted to talk about today is understanding maybe what that new normal looks like. What are the factors that we need to consider? Um, I'm gonna be producing a checklist next week of all the things that I'm talking about on this podcast, but uh, sorts of things that we can probably all extrapolate from our own current experience, things that we might want to talk about is first of all, going forward, possibly with virtual working, the place of work for many of our staff will actually not be the office going forward. Because now that we've moved everybody to virtual working, we can take a considered decision about how many do we want to bring back then? Why why do we actually get people to commute? Um, I'm lucky enough to work with a, a wonderful utility, National Grid US on the eastern seaboard. And um, I've never yet been uh, more amazed by the amount of commute that many of my colleagues there will actually do. Um, They might drive 90 90 minutes to two hours each way to get into the office. And you think, I wonder if that's something we still want to happen in the new normal. Do we really want to bring people into uh, urban areas, highly populated, densely populated areas uh, to sit next to each other in cubicles and be sitting in you know getting coffee together in communal areas as directors of companies what are our responsibilities for infection control we have all sorts of staff well-being responsibilities but now i've got something new that i never thought i'd have to consider which is about the the dense population of my office spaces and who i'm letting into the office and how's that going to work do i really want to open up my space to people that um Maybe don't work for me? Um, Does that put me at risk of maybe not looking after the staff who do? So, the place of work, I think, is something that becomes a a consideration, but it also becomes a consideration for organizations that perhaps have a presence on the high street and that sort of branch network. Um, And if they suddenly start to realize that perhaps the footfall is going to be a lot lower, the the decimation that we've experienced through online shopping, uh, those retailers are perhaps going to to see that that has accelerated. Um, And so perhaps organizations will close those locations with lower footfall, uh, but also they'll need to start thinking about maybe moving onto a much greater digital presence and digital marketing. So I think the place of work is something that we need to consider because it makes me think about um, as far as the, the location is concerned, Also, well, actually, (laughs) if I can't, I can't sublet the space, I might be saving a whole load of space, but whatever my current lease is in whichever office I'm in, I'm not sure I can sublet that space because there aren't the customers. If I'm reducing the total footprint that I need, well, surely all of the other organizations around that particular business district are doing the same thing. So who would actually want to take the space? So I think we're going to be caught in a very interesting situation there that we might not want to use the space, but we can't get any money back from it. But certainly as leases roll on over the next couple of years, maybe that will be something we take into account. Another thing from a very internal perspective is what does the working day look like? Um, I'm sure a lot of us have realised that in working from home and working with our colleagues, we've had to adapt our working hours Uh, perhaps to fit around our own family circumstances Um, but also to to recognize that you know we need to get our heads down and get some work done sometimes and sometimes we need to be in meetings Um, if people can't see us at our desk they don't know if we're busy or if we're free to chat so we might need to be a bit more explicit and to plan ahead a little bit more about when we're available to talk and when we're not I know a team for example um, that have worked out that between 8.30 and midday, they are available for calls and that's what they set up. But after midday, then there, there isn't any formal structured contact. They can obviously ping messages to each other in contact, but there is an expectation that perhaps they'll do their own work, um, but there's no expectation that they must then finish by 5 p.m. Uh, they might do some of their own work or indeed, My own experience is that I'll use one of those afternoons to go to the supermarket because um, I'm trying to space out like everybody else. Uh, When I do the shopping, I don't cram everything into a Saturday morning anymore. So I might work later in the evening. Um, I might work on a Sunday uh, because Sunday morning I've got nothing else on and I want to get things done. um, Because I want to actually spend a bit more time uh, with family members uh, in the early evening, the rest of the week. So the working hours become something that we need to think about from our own staff. But we also need to then consider, you know, from our customer perspective, if all of their staff are working in this same way, that actually the working day, the actual working hours is extending. And we might now be thinking, hmm, now this is having an impact on how we deliver things. And actually, there's an expectation for more 24-7 opportunities to uh, submit information look things up get answers so does that take us into the process redesign where we're starting to think about automation front-end apps uh, being able to get access of information through our websites putting chatbots on our website that sort of thing is this starting to make a little bit of sense Teresa in terms of some of the factors we need to consider
0: Yes um it's making a lot of sense and um one of the one of the ideas that came to me as you were speaking is um what the manager or or the director's perspective is on trusting that people are working um some managers and uh directors right now are being uh, asked, well, when we're back in the new normal, do you wanna have people come back to work? And there's, they're all saying, yes, you know, we don't want uh, our people working from home. So I wonder if there's something around that trust and relationship that we have to consider as well.
1: I think that's a fascinating point because one CEO has sort of said to me, uh, because he's very excited about the opportunities for more virtual working, uh, because he's wanted to do a more distributed model uh, for some mm-hmm. time. And he's saying, well, I think this is fantastically the death of presenteeism. Um, he's got managers who've wanted to sort of drag their feet on the more virtual model that he's wanted to implement over the last six months, uh, because mm-hmm. of the factors you've just raised about, well, you know, I need to see people working really to understand what they're up to. And um, and he and I have debated the fact that um, actually, you know, the longer this goes on, uh the the less there is the the argument for presenteeism because actually you you realize that people are doing their work uh you can see things getting done even though you so it's more about achievement than activity and this was always the problem with presenteeism is that you might see me sitting in the office uh, but you don't know that i'm actually being productive so if we don't track active um achievement if we don't track my what have i produced what have i created that didn't exist before then we are going to always be caught in the fact that you need to see me working to believe in me so i think it's a there's definitely a a cultural change that i think many of us have sort of been on realizing Mm -hmm. that perhaps um this idea of just seeing who's done what today is not quite the same as who's produced what but right. I, I do think we're into this situation now, whereas presenteeism, I think, is under threat because of the the actual situation we're in. Um, another conversation with this CEO, which I thought was very interesting, though, was the fact that I also flipped it and said, it's great that you want to you want to go almost wholesale to a working from home model and you're using this crisis as a way to pilot what it is you want to achieve. But I'd like to put something in there which makes you think about in the new normal, we are losing the community that many people associate with a, you know, a pleasant working environment. What is it that we can do when we create the new normal to make sure that on a, it might be a quarterly basis, we are actually bringing people physically together and, and therefore it might be that. What we're asking people to do to is we we end up hosting events um where we are actually inviting people physically to come to almost a uh an, an in house sort of almost conference a capture uh-huh. where they can they can develop those personal relationships that we know we know that the relationships we get face to face um you and I have spoken on the phone now for about three, four years, but we've met each other this time last year physically. Right, And right. we both know how that has sort of upped our relationship, the the, the mm-hmm. trust and the exchange of ideas between us, because we've actually met. And I've put this case to him and I've said, I, I always think when you're starting to create what the, the new normal looks like, it's about moving along a spectrum all the time. It's not going always to to one end of that spectrum wholly and completely. Nothing is ever that black and white. So I think where people work and when people work is something we'll still need to balance that with a bit of community.
0: I I agree and I think, um, you know, we also need to ask the question what does that community look like on a week-to-week basis Uh, you know are we having a virtual coffee at a certain time every week where everyone shows up on zoom and you know that for the next 20 minutes you're just going to be you know socializing with people Um, or do you have to uh, change the way your meetings are structured so that you leave the front end of meetings for five minutes just to be for socialization before you hit you know, the actual uh, topic of the meeting, there might be some things like that that
1: I, could I be think, employed again, I, to make think,
0: it a little better.
1: I think you're totally right. I mean, uh, obviously um, we were chatting. So we took the opportunity before we started this podcast to, to have some socialization. And we were chatting about the right. fact that um, I've, I've spent five weeks in lockdown now, but um, and because I work um, in the Middle East and in uh, Europe and the Americas, um, I've been working mm-hmm. Sunday through Friday. So I've done six days a week. Um, And one of the things that, you know, so I've got quite a lot of experience now. The new normal for me is that everything's online. And I've I've Mm -hmm. noticed that um, learning from others, one of the things that uh, I absolutely do is that I make sure that there is socialization time in the start of anything. Um, I've been using Microsoft Teams and I just make sure that even though there might be 15 people on the call, Um, But what we do is we just allow people to have um, a quick trick I found is that you get people just to put their camera on. So you get, you know, uh, each person sort of clicks in a sort of rotation, their camera on and is able to wave at people. So that what we've done is we've put a physical presence to the name on the screen. Now, Mm -hmm. from a bandwidth perspective, we might not want video on the whole time if we can just say hi when we're sort of chatting and also from a mental well-being perspective asking people you know how are you coping how's your week been because I'm sure we've all had a similar experience I've had in the five weeks of this lockdown so far I've had two particularly bad periods where last week um, uh, it was Monday into sort of Tuesday morning where I, I just felt um, frustrated, overwhelmed, and very stressed. I could feel it building up and I, I couldn't seem to get myself out of the, the sort of depressive mood. And so I I had to call on help from others. I, I spoke to somebody who um I, I really value I don't work with her but I really value her friendship and we were just able to spend the evening talking about things and and certainly I could feel my mood lifting. And, mm. and that happened to me as well about uh, four weeks ago when I was all right the first week and then I had a, a really bad couple of days when I, then I pick myself up again. And mm-hmm. I understand that I have a mental well-being responsibility to the people I'm working with too. Uh, it's it's I want to ask them if they're okay, but I also want to share that story because I know a lot of people think that I'm a I'm I'm a very positive, I'm a very pragmatic person and I am, but it ate away at me a couple of times. So you know it's it can happen to any and all of us. And when with virtual working, I I think we need to to socialise, we need to work out a way of of having, I said to somebody this morning, you know, they are used to having, um, mid morning, they sort of get up from their desk and they sort of go into the office kitchen and make a cup of coffee. And often their boss sort of comes in, they sort of wave a a mug at each other and their their boss comes in and has has a coffee. And of course, while they're in the kitchen, just, you know, getting the coffee out, making, you know, putting the milk in, they're having a chit-chat about things. Mm -hmm. How do we make sure, if you're virtually working, you can't do that because you can't see when the other person's sort of coming free, but you can say, look, 11.15 each morning, can we just have a 15 minutes? It might not be as long as 15 minutes, but can we agree that that's the time that we go and get a cup of coffee, we get a biscuit, we sit there and we have a bit of a chat, just so we can check in with each other. So, yeah,
0: I think that I, makes a lot of sense.
1: I think it's just getting I think it's getting cleverer. I I also thought there was um a colleague working in Florida that I thought made a superb point the other day about um how much more relaxed we are now. Um mm. I've been doing a lot of um I've always worked um online. I've I've always had to do a huge number of of webinars and meetings because I I work around the world. And I agreed with her comment. Her observation was that Up until this crisis, we we used to get quite tense, didn't we, about um, making sure nobody interrupted us, there was no noise, that we had the right sort of background. Uh, And now, you know, with so many people in your own house, um, people walking back and forth, and there's sometimes the odd bit of noise. I've been joined on um, conference calls by two and three-year-olds. I I did a conference (laughs) call with a director of transformation yesterday and a four-month-old. She was my youngest so far. Um, but, you know, we're we're and I've got um you know I've got forty kilos of of large elderly Labrador right beside right. me. Um, I so I think, yeah, there's, there's a little bit more relaxation of of some of that. So I think I thought that was um, an observation from my Florida colleague, which I thought was very um, apposite that um, you know to make this work. Some of the stress has come out of it i think we're and we're being a bit more human we're i mean certainly um for the for the women i work with when we're going on to video calls you know we are joking about um what we've decided to wear or or whether or not we've you know our hair looks a mess and it is right that. so there's some humanity there which i think would actually used to be missing but i think is now much much more uh, with us so i think the I think that what I'm talking about now is the new norm in terms of how perhaps we we work together, but we Mm -hmm. mustn't lose sight of the fact that if we're talking about this for our own colleagues and our own organizations, then we need to think about the fact that this is also going to be the new norm for our customers and our suppliers. And so how do we work around their own requirements? We, We will have to reset our working mm. patterns most definitely one of the diagrams I have in front of me right now is I have four boxes at uh, it's almost like the face on the face of a clock at at, uh, at 12 o'clock I have suppliers at 6 o'clock I have customers at 3 o'clock I have organization uh, structure and at 9 o'clock I have processes uh, and they all have sort of a relationship between them and I think some of the things we're talking about is about how we work which mm. then back is into actually how do how do we do some of our processes how how do we you know so we've talked about where we work how we work but I think one of the things we've also noticed um one organization who sort of um were you know they they the lockdown was announced and suddenly they nobody came into the office the next day and they were shut out Mm. from paper And they were shut out from the paper reports and the forms and the templates they use and all of the office supplies and things like that. Um, And we ended up in a sort of useful conversation about the fact that from a process perspective, um, some of the things that we used to do. But honestly, if we asked each other, I don't think we could remember why we did them have gone out the window because we haven't got access. We're not producing some of the paper reports that we used to. um, And we've realized that we don't need them. And so, you know, when you learn to live without something for a a little while, you don't want to put it back. And I think some of the manual interventions that we used to do with our processes, we've now come up with our own sort of automated workarounds that we'll probably then formalize with the use of technology. Um, So I think there is a, a, a big impact on processes. And of course, that has a knock on effect um to our organization structure i've been in several meetings this week um where we are talking about the the automation of processes where perhaps we are uh whether it's internal customers or external customers we're giving them the opportunity to input their own data um Mm -hmm. so the the people that are actually still doing the work are ones where they're they're acting on that data but there's no manual input of stuff anymore because well we can't receive you know pieces of paper so i mean and and this is an an interesting one for some of my colleagues who are a bit more hesitant like my my legal colleagues who are saying where's the paper some of my colleagues in the insurance industry where's the form where's the application form um i had a conversation Mm. with um, a finance company today about know your customer which is one of the uh, regulation financial regulations in the united kingdom and i said i just want to check have you updated? Have you automated um, and made online your know your customer checks? Because before, you would ask somebody to come into your office with their passport so you could validate that it was them against you know their physical presence. I said, well, clearly that's not happening. And she said, yes, we've actually been kicked right up the backside on this one. She said, we've been very slow to adapt in the past. But she said, in the last three weeks, we have absolutely had to um go online for everything that um before we used to make customers come in and see us um, mm. and i think well there we go so some of this crisis has you know has quite a big impact on the processes but of course what does that do to the organization structure um so, you know, in terms of the, uh, the the office where this was a, this is a mortgage brokers. And so they had to have customers coming in to physically see them. Now, that meant that they had to have lots of little meeting rooms. And it also meant that they had to have a receptionist who was there to greet people. Um, right. It's the same argument as the conversation I had this morning with somebody about executive assistance um, and the fact that um, uh, we were talking about somebody who'd been furloughed, who was looking after three um, directors of an organization and their diaries. Now, of course, those directors are now working using Microsoft Teams, they're managing their own diary because everything has to be clicked on through their laptop. Um, and, and they're doing stuff for themselves. And we're saying, to, be, to the, let's be honest, do we need that many receptionists? Do we need these executive assistants? Because if hmm. we're doing stuff for ourselves, so there's an immediate impact on the organization structure. But there's also an immediate impact. If you automate things, you don't need people who input data for a living because that's actually being right. that, that's now outsourced into the into the customer world. You know, I've got another group who their suppliers are now updating. There's a, there's, they've shared access to the um, if you like, the procurement catalog. And now the suppliers mm-hmm. are, are feeding that system with what they have in stock. This is all to do with healthcare, which is something we're all interested in. But they're feeding uh-huh. it automatically now, and therefore the people in the in the healthcare companies' offices who used to sort of uh, phone them up, uh, get get take on the order, you know, take on the availability from the suppliers and tap it all into that sort of catalogue. Well, they're furloughed. We don't need them anymore. We've replaced it with an automatic link. Right. So when we come back, the new normal, let's be honest, this is one of the biggest issues around the contraction of economies, is that the people that we will still want to employ are the brightest and the best. They are the most flexible and they are the ones that can add value. They can build relationships. They can cross sell. uh, They can persuade people to, to, you know, take on the organization as a as a supplier, uh, they can innovate and create new products and services. But we're not going to be having people who do the things that we can actually automate. So those that are sort of pushing paper around for a living, we always thought that they had um, a sort of an uncertain future. But unfortunately, the future is now it's come to pass mm-hmm. far more quickly. Right. And again, when I look at the transformation programs that I'm uh, and, and the key work streams within them, I'm probably like all of the audience listening to this podcast, I have prioritized mm-hmm. the things that automate processes. I have prioritized mm-hmm. the things that streamline what we do and uh, strip out things that we absolutely don't need. Um, and therefore I'm accelerating the creation of a, a future where you know, some of the, the more manual stuff's just gone out the window.
0: Right. Well, it's interesting to me, and I know we only have a few minutes left, but um, just thought I'd share this. Uh, You know, before this whole crisis came, there was all this conversation at the World Economic Forum about um, the fourth industrial revolution and, um, you know, how technology is really going to be replacing uh the work that people are doing and all the uh repetitive process automation and um robotics and artificial intelligence and all that stuff and now we almost have the burning platform for it with this crisis uh where we're just going to have to almost leap into some of those technologies in order to support the new ways that we we have to work.
1: Yeah, I do think. I think you're absolutely right to summarize this. I think that what Uh, people need to do is they need to ask themselves four questions. What are our processes? What what do we need to still be doing? What's the organization structure, the skills and the number of people and where they work that support that? So what's the organization structure? Who will our customers still be in the future? Mm. Because for some industries, perhaps you are going to lose customers, but you might develop others. And who will our suppliers be? Because if they're going out of business, then who are you going to replace those with? What does a, we we have been talking about sustainable supply chains, but now it's sustainable in terms of are they still in business? So I think suppliers, right. customers, processes and organization structure are the four pillars of the new normal. Everything feeds everything else. So it is a bit like doing a, a jigsaw puzzle without the picture on the box in front of you. <laughs> but, um, you know, that is the reality of what we're all doing. And I wanted to do this podcast to, to get this kind of conversation going and to get people thinking about it, because I think in transformational change, that is part of our job. We do have to facilitate the discussion. There was not an expectation we have all the answers, but we do need to start asking the questions at the very least.
0: I agree. And I, I wanna thank you so much for your time and your expertise and your forward thinking on this topic. Um, I always know where to go for the forward thinking, because you're always on the leading edge of all this stuff. Um, But I I really, really do appreciate you taking the time to share this with our subscribers, uh, Melanie. And how would people get in touch with you if they wanted to follow up?
1: If they want to get... An email, it's Melanie at agilechange Uk, or they just Google Melanie Franklin and you get a picture of me on a good hair day from LinkedIn. So you can just connect with me <laughs> through LinkedIn. That was when I used to be able to get to a hairdressers, lockdown and right. really have an effect. <laughs>
0: right. Oh my gosh. I just talked to my mother yesterday about this and she's she's ordering her hair color from Amazon and praying that it gets there in you know fewer than 10 days our
1: priorities uh, have certainly changed this is the new normal all right so google melanie franklin and you'll see i come up in linkedin and uh, that's when i had a smiley blonde blonde hair and a smiley face so see okay. that way thanks for uh, this teresa it's been a good chat
0: yes thank you take care Bye 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 we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the change management review podcast with Teresa Moulton, Editor-in-Chief of Change Management Review, and Melanie Franklin. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and like us on LinkedIn.